I feel like we can go ahead and take up the offering and go home. I don't know what I can add. Oh, my word. It's been, have we ever been in church where there's been a full orchestra? I, don't, I think this is a first for us. So uh, my hat's off to the worship team. Amen. Oh, my word. Amazing. Wonderful talent. Well, welcome. And uh, to those of you that are online, thank you for joining us. I hear from literally all over the world, possibly even the nation of Israel. So God bless you all. Again, my name is George. I'd like to introduce the most important woman in my life. No, it's not my mother. It is my wife, Linda Stanky. 46 years. Give it up. Come on, come on. She's worth it. That's right. <laughs> and thank you, Pastor Bob. It is such a privilege to have you as a friend and to just be able to speak to your congregation. So Mother's Day, as you know, um, originally was established to honor those that have ministered to us so sacrificially, but as Pastor Bob has already said, Mother's Day for many is not a happy time. And it isn't just for women, it's not a happy time for a lot of guys either. And so this morning, instead of focusing specifically on mom and how wonderful she is or not, I want to focus on women in the Bible. We're going to go through a number of them. I've got about two hours worth of message to get done here in about 20 minutes. So I'm going to really be moving fast and furious. But I want to show you some biblical examples of women who were influential in the scripture and what we need to learn from them. Because here's the truth. As a woman, you are a person of incredible influence. If you study the scripture to try to determine, do men influence women to a greater degree, or do women influence men to a greater degree? And I'm here to tell you, I've done the study. Women are the influencers. Can I have an amen from them ladies? Come on, you know you're the influencers, right? So it isn't a question as to whether you have influence. The only question is, how do you use it? You can be lady wisdom, or you can be Lady Folly. So we're going to start with Eve. She's probably the most well-known woman in the world. And uh, in the book of Genesis, let me just read chapter 2. The man gave names to all of the livestock and to the birds, the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But Adam, for Adam, there was no one found to help him, no one fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh, and with that rib God had taken from the man, he made woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So as has already been said, God looks down to Adam and he's, you know, he says, every part of creation, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he's looking at Adam. And I can just see him kind of pondering. It's like, this is not good. And so he brings this most amazing gift, this expression of genuine care and genuine concern, he brings to him Eve. Now, the thing that is interesting, the word helper in the Hebrew 
azir. It means suitable, adapted, complementary. This wasn't just any woman that would do in the moment. Specially chosen, even as Linda was specially chosen for me. I do believe that. Genesis 3.20, the man called her name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 2 Corinthians 11.3, then the serpent decided that he was going to get involved, and the scripture says that he deceived Eve. Now understand the influence of women. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he did eat. She influenced her husband to join him in her disobedience and together mankind has never been the same. She influenced him. I've got a few things I'd like to say to Adam when I get to heaven about his uh, AOL. Then we look at Yochebeb. Um, it's very interesting. This is the first time in Scripture. Um, her name means Yahweh is glory. Exodus 6.20 it's notable because she's the first person in the Bible to ever have a name with a divine element of Yah. She's the mother of Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. Now, if you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's movie, you remember the scene where she's created this basket. The story behind that is that Pharaoh is increasingly concerned because the Hebrew people are growing in number. They are prolific. And they, he sees them as a threat to his national security. So this decree goes out, all of the baby boys that are born, they are to be killed. You can let the ladies live, but the boys, they are to be killed. The midwives... It was their responsibility. I think of uh, the first time we went to China on a missions trip. When a woman, in this particular village that we were in, if you were pregnant, you had to notify the government. And when it came time to give birth, a midwife was assigned to you to make sure about the birth of that child. Um, some strange things going on in China, very, very similar to the things that were happening there in Exodus. But she saw that her son was a special child. And can you imagine being a mother with this edict that you have got to kill your own son? You have to destroy this life that has come out of your womb. But she sees, it's like, there's some, this is not just an ordinary child. This is a child of destiny. So she places her son in a basket that is covered with pitch, places that, that child in the Nile River, and watches it drift off. Can you imagine the emotion that she was feeling? I want to save my son, but in order to save my son, I have to release my son. 
There's a message there. Her trust, her faith in God was so amazing that she was willing to sacrifice even her own life. If it was discovered what she had done, she would have been killed. She's an amazing example to us today that there are times when we must risk our lives for the sake of another. Rahab, the book of Joshua, one of the most thought-provoking and astonishing heroines in the Old Testament. She was perceptive, intelligent, well-informed. She identified the spies that were sent by Joshua to Jericho. She hid them. And when she was questioned, she had a plausible story as to, yes, yes, they were here. I did see them. But they've gone. And then, wisely, she instructed the spies and said, listen, you just need to hide out for three days. Don't try to cross. You need to sequester yourself for three days. Then you can cross. She saved their lives. She was an example of amazing courage, again, putting her life at risk for the sake of another. In Hebrews eleven thirty one, very interesting scripture, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab's story shows us that regardless of your past, regardless of the life that you may have lived, anyone who turns to the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 11 through 13, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, to include a harlot, a woman of the night, Rahab left her pagan religion, married Solomon. Some, some say, it, there's some speculation, the scripture doesn't tell us specifically, but a lot of people believe that Solomon was one of those spies that she protected. And interestingly enough, she's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is no respecter of persons. I am not familiar with anyone here, definitely not those that are watching online, but I think statistically it would be safe to say that we may have a few watching, maybe even a few here, that are wondering, maybe I've done too much, maybe I've gone too far, maybe I've resisted too long, maybe for me it's just simply too late. And I'm here to tell you, there's a God in heaven who is eagerly waiting, even as he waited for Rahab, eagerly waiting to welcome you into the kingdom. Naomi and Ruth, an amazing story of two ladies 
And again, so much of this you're familiar with. In the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. And a man in Bethlehem in Judea went to Sir Join in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimech, and the name of the wife was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Mechlon and Kayon. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judea, and they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimech, the husband of Naomi, died and left her with two sons, and they took wives from this pagan nation. The husband dies. They're there for 10 years. Later, the two sons die. And now Naomi is widowed. No means of support. She has two daughter-in-laws. No means of support. And in her grief and in her sorrow, she thinks there's only one thing left for me to do. I need to go back to my homeland, which is now abundant with crops and food and the famine is over. But she says to her daughters, go back to your people. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And I will lodge where you lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Can you imagine the influence? Do we have any mother-in-laws in the audience today? <laughs> Just a few. How are you influencing those girls that have married your boys? I think of Linda. I mean, she's the closest woman to me. And I know the influence that she has had, not just in my life, but in the lives of the ladies that our boys have married. She is a hero to them, and we love them deeply. And so here's, here's Naomi, and in and, and the Jewish culture, and in, in the old cultures of the world, a woman's sustenance was derived from her husband, from family. She's destitute. She's going to go back, and Ruth says, no, 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 no. You have so I have watched you. I have watched you. I know that your God is the one true God. I want to model my life after yours. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he was speaking to the Thessalonians. And he said an amazing thing. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Not a boastful statement, just simply saying, I believe that I have lived my life in such a way that it is worthy of you not just to take notice of, but to also copy. And that's what's happening here between Ruth and Naomi. I have seen God in you. I want to pattern my life. I will go with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. That is a woman of profound influence. And she's grieving. What is the message? Naomi's example helps us to understand the truth that we can approach God in our times of deepest grief, knowing that our life still has some value knowing that there is still a destiny 
that there's still another chapter yet to be written that is going to leave an impact, that's going to leave an impression. Ruth's faith in God and her influence, I, I love the story, Boaz never saw what was coming. <laughs> he did not have a clue. These ladies were so incredibly wise, and Ruth influences Boaz, and he says, this woman, she's going to be mine. She's going to be my wife. And he had to maneuver a little bit just to make that happen. And it's an interesting thing. She is also in the lineage of Christ. And then we get to Esther. I noticed I couldn't help. I, I did go on to your website and I noticed that Pastor Bob did an in-depth study in regard to Esther. So I don't know that there's much I can say that he hasn't already covered. But it is an amazing story. She's a young woman. She doesn't want to be where she's at. She had the misfortune of being very beautiful. They took her to a beauty school and made her even more beautiful over the next 12 months. Then they present her to the king. He sees what he likes. Yes, you will be my next wife, one of many. She's in a marriage she didn't ask for. She's in a country she doesn't want to be. There's nothing about her situation that is anything that would, that would be a dream come true. And there's someone who serves the king who just hates the Jewish people, hates Mordecai, hates the influence that he is with the king. And so there is a conspiracy that will kill not only Mordecai, but will wipe out all of the Jewish people. In Esther 4 and verse 15, her uncle comes to her and says, and who knows whether you have not come to this kingdom for such a time as this. And she says to him, I want you to gather all of the Jews fast for three days and three nights. I will do the same. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You could not go in to see the king unless you were specifically asked to come into his presence. This woman receives, I believe, from the Lord profound wisdom on how to manage the situation, on how to influence and position herself so that she can come in and speak to the king. But in doing so, she risks her own life. She is an example of remarkable faith, remarkable courage. Reminds me of John 15, 13, when the Lord said, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. So I want to ask you this question based on her story. When faced with the defining moment, will you have the courage of Esther to put godly principles above personal gain for the good of another? Because that is her legacy. She did what was right because it was the right thing to do regardless of how she felt emotionally and she put her trust in God 
in regard to the decision that she made. That is amazing spiritual maturity, wisdom, and insight. Will we be able to make that kind of choice when we are put to the test? I believe that we can. I believe that we will put into that situation at some point. Hannah, a married woman, barren, no children, which is a disgrace in the Jewish culture. I can just hear the ladies talking. Hannah, Hannah, childless, cursed by God. Her husband has another wife. And it just seems like every time they kiss, she's pregnant and birthing another child. And so the woman with multiple children is in the face of Hannah, scorning her, rebuking her, provoking her. And in her grief and in her anguish, we read in 1 Samuel 1, 9 through 15, after they had eaten and drank at Shiloh, Hannah rose now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction, the affliction of your servant, and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give me a servant, will give me a son, then I will give him to you for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered. Hear her answer. This is critically important. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. This isn't just a casual, if you think you've got time, Lord. She is an example to us regarding the power of relentless prayer. In James 15, 16, in the Amplified Classic, it says this, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Oh, she was pregnant. And Samuel was born, and he was taken to the temple where he lived in the temple, was raised as a servant of God. Here's this woman. The, 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 the irony of this is, is staggering to me. I would give anything to have a son, and I, I can see her. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where you have prayed out of the anguish of your soul. There have been times when I have literally been on my face, prostrate before the Lord, praying until I just simply did not know what else to say again. And God answers her prayer, gives her this beautiful son which she cherishes. She keeps him until he's weaned. Then she takes him to the temple and gives him back to the Lord. 
that could not have been an easy sacrifice. The heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. What is it that you deal with? What is that circumstance where the enemy has just been in your face, taunting, 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 taunting you? What is the anguish that you have felt? You know, so many times we pray, we pray these heartfelt prayers, but then we just give up just a little bit too soon. God is ready to move, and we're just ready to back off. I want to encourage you. If you've prayed and you're still waiting, persist. Pray all the more. God hears your prayer. When God looks down from heaven, when he sees you, when he sees you, it's important that you understand what he sees, who he sees. He sees people of incredible worth, profound value, people that he cherishes, people that he loves. It is his earnest desire to hear your prayer to answer your prayer in keeping with his will and his purpose for your life. Don't quit. Don't give up. We can't talk about women and not talk about Mary. She's just a poor girl. She's in an insignificant town. She's from a very humble family with little expectation that her life is going to be really much of anything. When the angel Gabriel comes to her with this amazing pronouncement, you have found favor in the eyes of God and tighten your seatbelt, you're going to be pregnant. And you're going to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I mean, I can't even imagine hearing a message like that. Her response is classic. A woman of incredible courage. We were thinking, you know, the Bible isn't real, real specific, but her age is right around 14, 15 years old. She's a preteen in our society. She'd be a preteen. Can you imagine? 14, 15-year-old girl, all of a sudden she's beginning to show the accusations, the looks, the whispers in the hallway. She was going to face all of that. And in a Jewish culture, you could be taken outside the city and stoned. Her response, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. What an amazing faith. An amazing faith. In Luke 1, 45 and 47, she is with her aunt, and uh, her aunt is also pregnant. Uh, John the Baptist is going to be born. And they're talking, and e e Elizabeth says, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord 
would do what he said. And Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So you know the story. Joseph comes along. Now, in the Jewish culture, when you are betrothed, you're not quite married, but you're betrothed. You're not dating other people. You're not seeing other people. They're betrothed. She's pregnant. Joseph is ready to run. He, he doesn't want to embarrass her. He doesn't want her to um, be subject to the laws of the land, which could be harsh to a pregnant woman outside of marriage. So he decides, I'll just put her away very privately. I don't, I don't want harm to come to her. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, you need to understand. She is a virgin. And she has been chosen for a specific purpose. Don't be afraid. Take her for your wife. She was present at his crucifixion. Can you imagine, as a mature woman, she's somewhere in her mid-40s. She's watched Jesus grow up. She knows, she knows who this man is. This is Messiah. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is my Lord. This is my Savior. But this is also my Son. And she sees the beating. She feels the pain. The anguish of her soul. And she is standing at the foot of the cross. And Jesus looks down. And he makes sure that she's taken care of. What an example. What an example she is to all of us. Have you seen a pattern here in these ladies so far? You've seen a pattern? Hardship. 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 Decisions that have to be made, not any of which are easy. Sacrifice. But in each one of these examples, and these are just but a few, there are so many, there is not time enough to go through all of the amazing women in Scripture that have touched our lives for generations to come. Mary Magdalene, she was a woman where Jesus had cast out demons. She witnessed the crucifixion as well. She was there. She was with the mother of Christ a faithful follower of the Lord. I mean, can you, can you imagine? From demon-possessed to follower of Christ. Miraculous redemption, faithfulness, devotion, unwavering loyalty. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved whether you're a woman of the night, whether you are a man living as a pagan as I was, 
Before I came to know the Lord, my father forbid my mother even to take us to church. Divorced a few years later, by the time I got into high school, there was so much pain, so much anger, so much resentment, and trying to deal with that in all of the wrong ways. I remember one time I had accidentally overdosed and I was so convinced I was going to die and I'm trying to somehow pull myself out and I passed out. But before I passed out, I'm standing at the bathroom mirror. My face is contorted. I can't even recognize my own face. I'm throwing water in my face. I'm trying desperately to keep from going over the edge and as a non-Christian, I am crying, Jesus, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. And I passed out and I woke up the next day and nothing changed for two more years. You are so precious. He loves you. You may give up on him, but he will not give up on you. He will chase you down. <laughs> He will capture your heart. He will convince you of his goodness. He will convict you of your lifestyle. He will draw you by his spirit. From demon-possessed to follower of Christ. An amazing transformation. Lastly, Dorcas. Again, the Bible isn't specific. We think that she was also widowed. And uh, so well-known, loved, so loved. She was greatly respected in the community of Joppa where she lived. She became ill. She died. The believers who knew Dorcas were aware that Peter was just a stone's throw away in another town. They go to Peter. Peter, we love her. She's sick. Will you please come? Well, by the time Peter gets there, Dorcas is dead. Let me read Acts 9.39. Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to an upstairs room, and it was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and the clothes that Dorcas had made for them. And he's moved with compassion, and he raises her from the dead and gives her back to the community. She is an example of industry, actively meeting the needs of people around Galatians 2.10 says we're to continue to remember the poor. They were to look after the orphans and the widows, James 1.27. This is the type of religion that Dorcas practiced. She was an influence. She wasn't a preacher. She wasn't going out and evangelizing the lost. She was making clothing, mending, maybe taking in a little bit of ironing on the side. <laughs> She was just a servant, but she was so loved and so respected. She was influential in her community. There's room for everybody. There's not a person here, and uh, Linda, would you go ahead and come up? I have prayed for years for divine appointments. 
I want to be a miracle delivery agent for Jesus. How about you? I don't want to just fall across the tape. I am older than I've ever been in my life. I want, I want to bust through the tape. I want a divine appointment every day. I want the Lord to guide me, to direct me to someone who needs an encouraging word, to someone who just needs to hear the gospel. So on the plane here, I'm sitting next to a guy. And we engaged in conversation. Had an opportunity to be a witness, to plant some seed. I, I don't know what will happen, but it was a divine appointment. When we came downstairs from the hotel, engaged in conversation with a lady and man behind the counter, oh my goodness, my father's name was George. My father was a missionary. <laughs> And we were able to just have some fellowship with strangers, and he may be watching to, right now. He said he was going to kind of dial in and watch. You don't have to be a woman to be a person of influence, gentlemen. <laughs> I know we're here to celebrate the ladies, and we want to do so with excellence, but I want you to understand that God is no respecter of persons. He wants all of us to come into the kingdom. He wants all of us to enjoy the blessing of community. He wants all of us to yield ourselves in such a way that he can work in us so that he can work through us to touch a world that is desperate for his grace. I've asked Linda to share some closing comments, and she's also going to go ahead and pray for all of the ladies here and online. So, sweetheart, take it away. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the wonderful welcome that you've extended to us. It's just been so gracious and, and su such a breath of fresh air. Um, you never know when you come into a strange place how that's going to go. The Lord has laid a story on my heart to share with you. Um, we hear these Bible stories, and it's kind of all big and out there. You know, it's far away and long ago and doesn't completely apply to me, but yeah, kind of. You know, the thing that the Lord would uh, quicken to my heart today is that opportunities to do things for God come disguised as hard work. They're, they're not often shiny and wonderful and exciting. Sometimes they're um, kind of everyday, and they're going to cost us something. We were going to a, a good-sized church, and this young woman walked up to me one day and she said, hi, my name is Christina, I know your daughter, and I want to ask you to be my mentor. And I, she said, I've been watching your family, which kind of creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> you know the feeling I must have felt, huh? And she said, I am, I'm married to a Christian man, she had a, a couple of kids, but I don't know how to be a Christian, godly wife and mom. I've been to Bible college. Um, I'm married to a missionary's kid, but I don't know how to do this. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let's talk on the phone a little later in the week, and I'll let you know what I think. And so we agreed on the phone that on Tuesday she would call me, and she would give me a, a problem or a question that she had about her walk with the Lord, and then on Thursday, we would get together, and I would share some scriptures with her and just some practical advice on how to handle that stuff. First, first question out of the box, I am so angry. 
what do I do with this anger toward my children, toward my husband? And I, you know, I, I thought, oh boy, well, let's start with the big stuff here. <laughs> you know, we spent every other week for nine months going through her questions and her problems, went uh, in depth on how to serve the Lord as a Christian wife and mom, how to discipline kids, when not to discipline kids, all kinds of things. That time turned into a Sunday school class. We took those lessons, and she, uh, she and her husband and I taught a class on parenting for two years in our church after that. All those lessons that she learned, we shared with others. I remember a lady who had a three-year-old. She said, you mean I'm supposed to make him mind? And I said, yeah, <laughs> great. That turned, all of those lessons turned into a book, and, and God just took things further and further. But initially, you know, it was that call to hard work. I was going to have to give up some time. I was going to have to dig out some scriptures for her. She said, um, when she first introduced herself to me, she said, my parents were hippies. And one year we lived in a teepee so that they would have more money for drugs and we wouldn't have to rent a house. And she had been taken away and put into foster care eventually in high school and uh, ended up in a Christian home and went to Bible college as a result of that. So I just want to encourage you that whatever it is that the Lord has given you an opportunity to do, it, it might be disguised as, as hard work, but really and truly it's an opportunity to serve him and serve others in this time. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for the precious women here. Women who serve in many capacities, women who are not sure what to do next, women who might resent the load that they have already. Oh God, we pray for your help and your strength as they carry these things out, as they raise children for you, as they share with their daughters-in-law, or as they share with their neighbors, or as they share with their friends encouragement to do things your way, encouragement to walk out the life that you have put before them, serving God and knowing Jesus and walking the ways of the Bible. Lord, I pray that if anyone is burdened or troubled at this time, Lord, that you would lighten their load, that you would bring someone alongside them to help carry that burden. Lord, I pray that they would have opportunity in the future to rejoice in the work of their hands, to rejoice in the things that they have accomplished for the kingdom, for you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Would you please stand? I'll remind you once again that uh, today, um, if, if the Spirit's been tugging at your heart, if maybe you've been through some hardship and you have some questions, maybe you just, you just have been, there's just been a feeling like there, there's something more to life and, and you're waiting to see what that is. I want to remind you right out there at the starting point, we've got some people who are there waiting and ready just to visit with you, to pray with you and help you on your path. Receive the benediction as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing. Remember, we had a tornado 
just a little over a week ago when we've got some people from some of our sister congregations who have lost pretty much everything. Our dollar club today, that as you leave, they are going to be some ushers up there with buckets. However you can help, we would appreciate it, and we're going to make sure that that money gets directly to them. Thank you again. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.